Hello, everybody, and thanks again for joining me today for another episode of the NHS 100K podcast with me, Matt Taylor. Today, we have got uh, a superstar guest, which I'm humbled and honoured to be able to speak to today. Um, yeah, nothing else to really say, really. Dr. Tess Laurie, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for inviting me, Matt. It's a great pleasure to be speaking on your podcast. Oh, the pleasure is, trust me, is equally mine as well. So thank you so much. Um, as we were talking off air, um, so... Most of the audience will know who you are um, if they've not been living under rocks or uh, not reading the right literature. But for those people that um, that we're trying to get this out to, just give people a brief uh, backstory of, uh, of of you know when when it started and, and where we are now, please. Okay, well, I'm a I'm a medical doctor with a PhD. I, I, I've been working as a research consultant for the last 12, 10, 10 to twelve years. Um, for the last 10 years, uh, specifically as an external consultant to the World Health Organization, and my specific expertise is in evidence evaluation and um, developing clinical practice guidelines. So um, in, my, in, my, in my clinical work, um, I, was, uh, I worked in obstetrics, so it was very much, um, uh, you know, pregnancy, childbirth, uh, reproductive health. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm registered uh, as a non-clinical doctor and I don't do any clinical work now. Um, in, um, in early 2020, I saw that the you know, COVID policies were not evidence-based. I was very concerned. And so I started to look deeper into, into um, the available evidence on ivermectin. And when I, when I, when I, I, I formed a, a, a group, uh, author group, author team, systematic review team, and we did a review on ivermectin. We saw that there was, it was, you know, it was kind of a no-brainer, really. Uh, ivermectin um, was a safe option to to um, to use for COVID, both prevention and treatment. And so we tried to get the message out um, through, uh, we established a group called the British Ivermectin Recommendation Development Group, which um, became known as BIRD as an acronym. And, um, and uh, you know, we spent a lot of time lobbying, writing, uh, sending evidence packs to our um, Minister of Health and, and other, the WHO, other authorities around the world. We had no joy at all, um, you know, also to the MHRA. We kept getting this, oh, um, uh, there isn't any evidence or um thank you for your views. You know, there was never any any acknowledgement that actually what we'd given them was a body of evidence um, that really supported the rollout of the safe old medicine. And um, and so, and, and then of course, um, the evidence was, was emerging that the COVID injections um, were, you know, the safety, there was a safety signal emerging on the, on the yellow card scheme, as well as on the World Health Organization database. Um, pharmacovigilance database, and so it became clear that, in actual fact, when when our, our reports um, were on those databases, saying, you know, please can we pause the vaccines while we look at these these this emerging evidence of harm, um, we realised we needed to actually reach the people and actually get the message to the people because it just the authorities weren't listening, and it just seemed like there was nobody really flying the plane. So, so um, with myself and some international colleagues, um, decided to just go ahead and take the leap and form form an organisation called the World Council for Health. Really, empowered by the people, and um, and uh, with the aim of empowering 
people to take responsibility for their health and to make sense of what's going on. Because how do you make sense of what's going on when, uh, you know, <laughs> um, when it seems as if um, the government health policies are are actually harming rather than helping, uh, and and that seems uh, it it really is 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 counterintuitive because we really have been we want to trust our authorities we always have, and uh, and it's uh, it's a very uh, big leap to think um, that um, that uh, you know that there's um, willful blindness or incompetence or whatever it is. Um, and and that the policies are harmful. So so that was it. So we we launched really with an at home COVID guide, um, with a list of uh, uh, remedies and um, uh, supplements that one can get mostly over the counter, supermarkets and um, and pharmacies, and uh, and then um, we we followed up with uh, with a, uh, more information about the COVID vaccines, which of course are not normal types of vaccines they're very um they're very unusual new technology that's never been successful before um and uh and so we and it's, it's a very big <laughs> understatement <laughs> but we've been censored so broadly it's been really really difficult an uphill battle to get the message out to the public because of course i'm sure many of your your viewers already know um you know that um that our media uh, you know our, our BBC, you know that you know has been the national broadcast in the UK for so long, and 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 much loved and whatever, um, you know has actually been um, highly influenced and and um, by by corporate by big corporations and big pharma and Bill Gates and so on. So um, they are no longer um, uh, um, unbiased, and um, and and um, their messages need to be need to be um, really carefully, uh, one needs to be very discerning. Um, and, and then, you know, and also on all the social media platforms, we've been, we've been censored and, and then, you know, and fact checked all the time. So it's been an uphill battle. So that was a very long introduction to myself, but. That, well, yeah. I mean, I, I'm well aware of what you've been up to. So, so you paraphrase that nicely. Um, so thank you for that. But just to give, um, I just wanted to touch on, on, on your kind of role before, getting into this so your main role and correct me if I'm, if I'm if I'm wrong was to gather all the studies and the evidence that had been sort of given to to yourself or, or submitted for a specific drug uh, medication and and then it was yourself that would then deem the guidance for then others to follow um yeah well how it actually medication. works is, is that um so one would be looking to make a recommendation on a medicine or an intervention for a specific reason and then one would look at the evidence, one puts together what's called an evidence to decision framework. And this is a sort of gold standard um, uh, framework for decision making process. So the, this involves evidence on the effects and safety of, of a, a drug, drug, let's call it a drug. So you look at the evidence on effects and safety, and basically, generally speaking, randomized control trials are considered the gold standard. I mean, yeah, that you would include in the, in the systematic review. Yep. Then if there, if there aren't any randomized controlled trials, you'd look at other sorts of studies um, and, um, and, and so on. So there's a sort of a hierarchy of, of evidence. But generally speaking, um, you know, you'd look at the randomized controlled trials, you'd pool those data and you'd, you'd get um, some sort of evidence on the effects and safety. But that's not the only thing you look at. So that's the one thing, one criteria. The other criteria are people's values and preferences. So the people who are going to who are affected by the intervention, 
uh, who are likely to be taking the, the drug, and also health professionals who would be tasked with using it. So, um, you know, something that might, um, but also, so, but the, but the, but how the, how the results of those, um, so safety, if there were questions about safety, well, people might be less willing to, you know, less keen to, to take an intervention if there were side effects. So that's the other thing. Then it's acceptability. How acceptable is the intervention? Some people don't like injections, for example. So an intervention that required an injection might not be that acceptable to, to a certain group of people. Um, feasibility. How feasible is it? Does it require refrigeration? Is it something that's you know very safe and stable and can be? Is it um, is it cheap? Obviously, there's a there's a there's a crossover between feasibility and resource use, and resource use is another another criterion because if something's very cheap, then it's very feasible. You know, if it can be posted somewhere, posted around the country, then that's very feasible. Um, if it's available over the counter because it's safe, then that's very feasible. Um, and then. Um, and then the last thing is equity. You know, is it a fair intervention? Can anybody around, you know, uh, can elderly people take it? Can um, can poor people take it? Is it accessible in that way? So, um, so those are the six criteria that one looks at when one's looking at a body of evidence. One doesn't just look at um, efficacy, efficacy and safety, for example, and then say that's it, you know, uh, or one trial or the latest trial. So it's a whole sort of... Um, a whole a lot of criteria that one uses to to make a recommendation on whether or not to recommend um, an intervention. And then it might be not recommended. It might be recommended in a certain context or for a certain uh, group of the population. Uh, or it might be recommended in the context of research. And they might say, okay, we need to do more research on this on this drug. So the, the, so that's the work. So I would do that, and then I would I would go to wherever to Geneva. Uh, and um, present the evidence to a panel of different sorts of stakeholders, country representatives, whatever, various, depending on, on what, the, what the question was, um, the recommendation that was to be made, and then um, help them make the recommendation. So I wouldn't make the recommendation, but I'd be right. involved in presenting the evidence and then guiding and then writing up that document. Right. Okay. So, um, okay. So, have you ever done anything to do with jab, like vaccines or anything like that in the past in, in this kind of concept? Uh, kind no. Of, um, no, nothing at all. So it's not, would you normally, or is yours just solely to do with more medications or drugs? Um, no, it's really, so for example, um, I've, I've been, uh, and I put together the, um, the uh, World Health Organization recommendations on antenatal care for a positive pregnancy experience. That was a project that I was involved in, and in that there are 40 recommendations. So among those, there are recommendations on, on multivitamins, for example, in pregnancy. Um, you know, there are recommendations on, um, on ultrasound. So it's a sort of a wide variety of, of interventions that might be appropriate for use in antenatal care and um, and. And so we evaluate all of those different uh, interventions, and then there's a statement about whether they're recommended or not, and what the context is. And likewise, um, another document on um, on uh, um, on childbirth. So um, uh, recommendations on uh, on uh, you know childbirth for a positive child uh, childbirth experience. Sorry, labour for a positive childbirth experience. So um, and and there's lots of lots of recommendations in those and those documents and those processes take a number of years um, to to prepare you know the, the sort of guideline development process uh, if you're just doing a single um, recommendation obviously it takes a lot shorter but when you have a whole booklet of inf of uh, recommendations 
um, it's quite a time-consuming process. Right. But okay. but basically, um, so you know, my my role is as a research methodologist um, can be applied to to any intervention. You know, uh, um, prior to COVID and actually just sort of um, or a little bit into COVID, I'd been involved in a in a bunch of reviews on brain tumors, on diagnosis and management of brain tumors for um, for the uh, Cochrane Neuro-Oncology Group. And, um, and that I do through my position at the Royal United Hospital in Bath as a, as a research consultant. So, Could you just explain to people, I'm aware of what Cochrane reviews are, or Cochrane report, could you just explain to people what they are? Because they, they, if people need to look at anything, that's where you need to go really, isn't it? Well, not really. <laughs> oh, okay. Not really anymore, I'm afraid. Right, um, okay. The whole structure of Cochrane has changed. And right. Cochrane used to be Cochrane reviews used to be done by volunteers basically, and um, and uh, it's become much more corporate now with corporate um, donors and so on. With well, you know, foundation um, foundations that um, that foster corporate interests. So um, the whole structure has changed, and um, and sadly, Cochrane reviews are not as trustworthy as they used to be. But they but they have been. The, they have actually been used um, very widely in all the work I've done before uh, and uh, and have, have been held in very high regard. Hmm, okay. That was a nice uh, nice poo sandwich you did there. So I like that. So we did all, well, um, okay. So, all right. We'll go. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure everyone's happy now with, with um, me evident or you evidencing that you're more than qualified to discuss what we're going to be discussing next. Um so those of us that have been on this bandwagon since the beginning, ivermectin hydroxychloroquine popped up right at the start. And I remember seeing yourself and um, Dr. Pierre Corey and uh, a few other doctors at the very beginning sort of standing up and, and trying to sort of, you know, get people to use this as a prophylactic medicine. How long did it take? Who brought it to your attention, ivermectin, or were you aware of it already uh, being able to work in the capacity that we were trying to get it to work for treating COVID? Yeah, you know, I hadn't really been paying too much attention to um because it was, you know, it was quite distressing just seeing how, um, just, you know, how the strategies were just not evidence-based. And so, you know, the mask thing and all of that, and it, you know, I was just getting frustrated with all of that, just thinking, oh, just ignore it, get on with your work. So I was just getting on with my work. And then I saw Dr. Piacori's testimony to the U.S. State Senate. Someone sent it to me. And I just thought, this is absolutely ridiculous. Why on earth is this highly qualified doctor, um, you know, ICU doctor, uh, having to beg politicians to use the safe old deworming medicine that's been used billions of times since the since the 80s, you know, around the world. Uh, it's o available over the counter. What on earth is going on? And so I thought, well, let me just get involved with this. And it was the it was the um, the December holidays. World Health Organization was on, you know, that usually take uh, a couple of weeks leave over that time. And so I thought, let me just do this, and then I can send it off to the World Health Organization. I can, you know, uh, and um, and uh, show, you know, show them. So it was really, it was to validate because Pierre Corey had done a systematic review as well. Well, he'd done a review, but it was more like a literature review. They hadn't really done meta-analyses, and I knew that um, the authorities rely on these meta-analyses. They like them a lot, mm. and uh, so I thought, well, let's just do a Cochrane-style review, albeit rapidly. Um, and just uh, because, of course, at that time, we were being told that thousands of people were dying every day. Uh, it felt like there would be some kind of, um, well, well, certainly there was an urgency. 
but it felt like there would be, you know, there would be great interest in uh, mm. in hearing that there was this uh, safe old medicine, that there was sufficient evidence really to roll it out. So when did you first experience, and I ask everybody this because it's just everyone's situation is different, um, but when did you first start experiencing the kind of the, I don't want to say censorship of ivermectin, more the, the just complete stonewalling of, uh, of ivermectin going on <laughs> well, it was it was almost immediate, you know. I'd never I, I I've never been on social media or anything, you know. I think I opened a Facebook account years ago, and I didn't really bother with it. And then um, and I didn't have Twitter, and I didn't. I just usually just got on and did my work. I didn't really uh, engage in, in in social media. But in that first week of January, I then did a video to the Prime Minister because. I had sent the the evidence pack to Matt Hancock and others, and I hadn't had a reply. And so I, I, I thought my daughter suggested, you know, just try doing a video, Mom. So I did a video uh, just to say, um, you know, uh, to to Boris Johnson, just to say, you know, I, I, this is who I am. I've evaluated the evidence. I'm a doctor, and I have a moral duty to share this right now. Uh, and um, you know, please, uh, can you can you get Matt Hancock to contact me? And I and and it got pulled immediately. It got censored immediately on YouTube, and um, and uh, so that was my sort of my first entry into social media. And then it just continued like that. I had a uh, we opened an account for Bird, and that got censored on Twitter. And my evidence-based medicine consultancy limited um, Twitter account got cancelled as well pretty early on when I just linked to a study on ivermectin or something. I can't remember exactly why. And um, and so and then it just became, um, you know, it was it really was just as you say stonewalling. Whenever I sent a document, uh, there was mm. just a, a no response. You know, we'd say, "Please, could we have an appointment with the therapeutic task force? I'm available to discuss this and that, and and nothing." And um, and even with um, with the paper, when we finally when we submitted the systematic review in February to when it was. Uh, was it in fe early February, um, to the Lancet, uh, Lancet Respiratory Medicine looked at it. It was peer-reviewed um, by four peer reviewers. They were all satisfied with our changes. And we got a, an, a letter from the editor saying, um, we believe this paper will be widely picked up, but we're not going to publish it, basically. So it took us about, it took us until June to actually publish the paper. Uh, so it was published on the 21st of June. And it's one of the most highly referenced papers uh, uh, ever, I think, out of twenty million papers. So, was that with the Lancet in the end, or did you have to? No, go no, no. The Lancet never published it. We published it in the American Journal of Therapeutics. Um, but it's been it's been attacked. It's been you know it's been bombarded by by um, you know all these um, these uh, basically um, uh, entities and individuals with conflicts of interest. Um, yeah. Sometimes the interests are not that apparent, um, but. <laughs> <laughs> the spider web, isn't it? Um, so, because I've always wondered this as well. So, with the whole ivermectin thing, it's either they knew that it was going to work against COVID before people started realizing that themselves, or they just were just stonewalling it because they knew that there couldn't be an alternative to the, to the vaccine that they were pushing out. But I know the laws are slightly. Yeah, if yeah. you look at it, you know, they wouldn't have been able to give conditional authorization to new experimental injections if there was something that was safe and worked and was effective and they were, you know, arguably there wouldn't have been an issue with COVID at all because it is very safe and effective. And this is my other argument as well. Even if you did, did take into account some of the negative studies that were done with, you know, we can go into the methodology of the studies. Um, but <clears throat> even if there was a slight chance that it would work, 
while we were at least trying to manufacture a successful vaccine, you'd think they'd just roll it out anyway, wouldn't you? If it could save even 10 lives. Yeah, um, you'd think it was worth a shot, really. You would, wouldn't you? Uh, and, 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 and in actual fact, now it's ridiculous looking at the at the individual studies anyway, because it's all this real world evidence to show that it works. <laughs> yes. And, but Actually, still... My favourite my favorite, um, uh, interview last year was, yeah, um, I think it was round about, could have been round about, September, October, November, anyway, was with this couple, or well, they, they sent me this um, this video, um, they smuggled ivermectin into the hospital uh, in chocolate, in a chocolate bar. And uh, and, um, and, uh, and it's Carol, Carol Hayes, and she'd taken the, she'd, she'd taken, she was in ICU and she was refusing to go on a ventilator. And she'd taken it and within 12 hours later, 12 hours later, the doctor came in and he said, something wrong with this machine, it can't be working properly. Um, because she was better and she basically was moved out of ICU, but she had she had a real struggle. It's worth looking for that video. It's quite interesting. Yeah, I think um, uh, I've heard similar stories of, of, of things like that. And then there was a court case as well, wasn't there, that in America where they were, they, they won um, the, uh, the, the case, weren't they, to be able to give their, I think their father who was on, on a ventilator at the time, either met him and then he, he, he was, he, he survived as well. I think 10 days later, he walked out of hospital. So. Yeah. I, I mean, it's actually, it's, it's, you know, one has to laugh because one, one would cry <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, to yeah. <laughs> at the madness that you have to, the people have had to go to court to get access to this. It's like safer than aspirin you know, safer than paracetamol. Um, and, um, yeah. So uh, <laughs> it's a difficult one because th th this is what I couldn't get my head around as, as, as well as the um, it was the fact that we don't want to try it. But what we'll do is we'll put more effort into actually slandering it and condemning it um, than actually trying it, which that straight away should have got people's spider senses uh, tingling to a certain degree. Why? Why does it work then if it's an antiparasitic medication? That would insinuate that COVID nineteen has some sort of parasitic qualities as well. Is that right, or am I just completely? No, not necessarily. Here? And it's been it's it's really just been pigeonholed as antiparasitic. It was right. it was discovered to have antiparasitic properties forty years ago. Uh, and the, if you look at the, the the literature, there's evidence. There's there's studies showing it has antiviral properties. It works against dengue, against HIV, against. Um, anyway whole host rna and mm -hmm. dna viruses it has anti-cancer properties um it uh, improves the gut microbiome it, it has uh, anti-inflammatory properties so it's this hugely um it's it's basically it's a very simple product it's a fermented product of a bacteria mm. um and uh so it's very simple and uh and it's because it's so cheap it it it's been under researched, so it hasn't. You know, all of these these um, these opportunities that have shown all of these papers that have shown that it has all these properties, they haven't been developed because had they been developed, uh, and and for example, if a, a, a drug that was that cost three cents a tablet was actually effective against cancer, and can you imagine what would happen to the drug industry? Um, the pharmaceutical industry would they wouldn't be able to be making these these tens of thousands of pounds for every cancer patient um, yeah and I, and I suppose that would piggyback onto hydroxychloroquine as well because they can't have any medication that would potentially um, yeah. alleviate the symptoms yeah. and I think well. it's important actually just to know just to put it in context I mean this is a medicine that was discovered um, it was discovered on a golf course by Satoshi Amura who's a professor in Japan um, in in the 80s and in, in 2015, um, he and Professor John Campbell 
uh, who is a, it, it was based in Ireland and he worked for Merck, they won a Nobel Prize for medicine because of the unbelievable usefulness of this of this medicine that had been discovered so many years earlier. So that's 2015 is not that long ago. And no, in 20, no, and, and in 2018, ivermectin was added to the World Health Organization's essential medicine list. So it's, you know, it's very recently been recognized as being unbelievably useful to humanity. And yet we've had the authorities parroting and our and our media, our co-opted um, media, like the BBC parroting that this is a horse medicine. I know. And and, and that's what kind of threw me because I, I was a bit like, well, you're actually going out the way to create a smear campaign for that drug, which would cost more money than actually if you repurposed it and tried to actually put some effort into seeing whether it would be, you know, good, good for what everyone's saying it's for. Um, so I'm just trying to paint the picture so people could sort of see because I remember the video that you did for The Who, and we spoke about this briefly off air as well, that you did for The Who, explaining to them why they should be using ivermectin and literally asking them, I do not know why you are not using this or given authorization to use this medication. Um, and, and then I, I felt your pain in that video at the time. But then I think, you know, I'll try and dig it out for people to see. But then that that's what you have been up with, uh, up against, sorry, for the last for the last couple of years. One more uh thing and then we can we can change topic if you like so the the dr andrew hill interview um which i think uh propelled you back to the to the spotlight again in case you'd faded away um can you can you just tell us what happened with that if people haven't seen it <laughs> they should see it because it's brilliant well yeah um i was introduced to andrew hill through dr pia Corey, and andrew hill was uh he's an honorary researcher at the university of liverpool so he's, he's not paid by the university of liverpool but he's been there for many years um uh um with his original position funded by a farm company and uh but he was hired by unitaid um which is um some sort of non-governmental organization with links to Bill Gates um, to do a review for World Health Organization. World Health Organization works quite closely with UNITE. They collaborate on a lot of things. Um, and um, to do a review of ivermectin. And uh, when I heard he was doing it, I reached out to him and said, look, um, I know what sort of reviews are needed because he didn't have any experience doing Cochrane reviews. And we always use Cochrane reviews at WHO um, for the um, for the gu the guideline development, um, and I thought that was a bit strange as well um, that he wasn't experienced in doing that sort of review. Um, but um, so I said, well, let's work together and do a Cochrane review, and he agreed to that. And then before um, before we could get working together, uh, he published a very um, raw um, review on a preprint server. Um, that um, that said ivermectin couldn't be, um, although he showed a 75% reduction in deaths, <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> he, he, he drew the conclusion that ivermectin can't be looked at by the authorities until um, clinical more trials are done, randomized trials. And, um, you know, and that was effectively kicking the ball down the, kicking the can down the road. Um, and, um, and when I said to him, you know, uh, so I asked him to have a, have a meeting because I said, you're going to cause immeasurable harm by this paper. Please retract it. And so we had a meeting, um, a Zoom meeting, and I recorded it. Yes. Um, and, uh, and he, he said um, that his sponsor had, sponsors had influenced his conclusions. 
And when I said, well, you know, how long are you going to wait? Um, because he said, oh, well, you know, he's really going to help to get ivermectin approved as soon as possible. So I said, well, how long are you going to wait? And he said, well, about six weeks. It'll take six weeks. Um, and at that time, you know, he he said there were 15,000 people dying every day. So, you know, um, so uh, so that was that was interesting. But I did follow up after the six weeks and say the six weeks are up now, you know, um, but of course, um, there was the, the six weeks us to have still not. Uh, they still haven't. Um, you know, he's, they still haven't changed that recommendation. Actual fact, he's been one of those who've been actively sort of undermining the evidence now and backpedaling. Um, and so, in January this year, on the 18th, because that meeting was held on the 18th of January, so on the 18th of January, I sent him a letter again, just saying, Andrew, please, can you come out and and reveal that because. You know, that decision not to use ivermectin has led to immeasurable harm. It's led to so many people feeling they have no option but to take these new experimental COVID injections. Um, and um, and uh, he didn't respond. And so that's why we made that video with Oracle Films, just a short video, um, you know, I, I, where, where we, we use some of the clips from that Zoom interview. Mm. And, and I, I recommend people watch it. It's uh, Dr. Andrew Hill. Um, it's You smashed it. I've never seen anybody so uncomfortable, um, you know, because you interrogated him. And, 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 and he had no choice. He had no choice to say what he said. But I think it, it gives people a little bit of an insight of uh, of the stonewalling that you guys have been getting from the beginning. Um, so I, I suggest everybody goes and, and checks that out. And obviously the BBC have had a go at you as well, which you, you mentioned. So you're making lots of friends on your journey, which is great, which means clearly you're doing the right thing. Um, so we spoke about this briefly again off air. So we've had half an hour now for everyone to get to know who you are. So, um, those people that are down the rabbit holes are aware of what's going on. And again, we spoke about this as well. Just, we need to try and change the message, don't we, of, on, on how we try and broaden our, uh, I don't want to say our ranks per se, but how we kind of bridge the, the gap of segregation that's happened now between the jabbed and the non-jabbed and the, you know, the tinfoil hats and the, you know, the non-tinfoil hats. So... What do you, uh, what are you proposing that we try and do then? Well, you know, when I go on these Twitter, uh, you know, Telegram accounts, it actually really brings me down. I don't know about you, but you know, it just seems like um, there's just this, you know, the, there's Murder just so much kill. new stuff Murder coming out. Kill. You know, yeah. there's so much new stuff, and it, and it's all pretty negative, and it's all pretty frightening. Even for people, you know, even if you know what's going on. Um, it's very frightening to be confronted every day with another thing that shows more statistics, which show more disaster, which more harms, you know, more. Um, and so it becomes like um, it's kind of voyeuristic in a way where, um, where everyone's sort of sitting on the sidelines and watching the, the, the ships go down, you know, rather than um, people coming up with solutions and saying, okay, let's, let's get on and do something and do something positive. Because what's the alternative? I mean, it looks like everything's going you know, going quite to whatever, uh, you know. <laughs> so, you know, so I, I think it's really time for us to, to to say let's stop adding to the the noise and the fear because there's fear mongering on both sides. You know, it's like, I don't know if you've seen those posts where there are like five exclamation marks after something and then, a, you know. <laughs> yeah, um, bombs and, and traffic lights yes, and fresh yeah, we just, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we have to really say, look, if we don't want this dystopian, you know, um, reality, well, fake reality that's being laid out for us, we've got to actually do something uh, 
we have to work out what the alternative is. So I mentioned earlier that, you know, we've set up this organization called World Council for Health, which is about health promotion and sense making. Um, and it's linked to an organize, uh, a website called Source, which will be launched soon, which is also about empowering people to to take uh, res- to take responsibility, to take control of their their freedom and their sovereignty. So, so World Council for Health is about empowering health, freedom, and sovereignty. It is not about telling anybody what to do about um, their health. You know, whatever you decide is absolutely. We all totally. Are responsible for our own health and entitled to make our own health decisions and our own life decisions. But everything that we do affects health. Everything comes under health. It's not about, it's not like health is here and then work is here and then, um, you know, holiday is there and then activities are there. Everything uh, comes under health. The way we, the way we live, the way we interact, the way we communicate, um, uh, the things we do with our time, um, the way we eat and, um, and drink and think. So, um, so, so, and and the other thing is that the information we have and share comes from our volunteer committees. So we have these ex. We have an expert health and medical committee. We have an expert uh, law and activism committee. We have bioethics. We have uh, a youth committee, um, and um, and others. Uh, and these are all run by by volunteers, um, and. Um, and, and then the information that comes out of those committees, but also that is submitted by, you know, we have, um, we have uh, especially in this period where we have new and emerging diseases, you know, we have information coming in from, uh, from uh, doctor experts outside of the group and other, other sorts of experts, homeopaths, chiropractors, you know, real, uh, it's really time to, ex- to look at the other modalities of health as well, of healing that have been suppressed because we've had this very pharmaceutical dominated approach to health. So, um, so that's um, so so that's what we're doing through World Council for Health. But, but um, what we what we really need um, is is for everybody to to start thinking about what type of world they want to live in, and actually starting to to believe it's possible, because you know we we. We seem to, you know, we seem to act out of a kind of victim mentality and we think, oh, there's all this stuff going on. I can't do anything. But in actual fact, um, what what we are seeing, what COVID has provided is this amazing opportunity for change. You know, never before uh, we see everything crumbling. You know, we see the health system crumbling. We see the the financial system crumbling. We see our governments uh, crumbling. They don't seem to know what to do. There doesn't seem to be anyone at the helm. You know, there these these wars that seem to be provoked. You know, with, without it. So you know, it's t- it's really time that that we we say, um, okay, we can't um, change anybody's minds. Everybody's able to make up their own minds about things. But what sort of world? Would we prefer to live in? And so that's what we've been focusing on, um, focusing on a better way. So World Council for Health's slogan is "There's a better way," um, and um, you know, a better way for a better world. And I just, I've actually got this leaflet, and I and I encourage people to read it. So you can't really see it from there, but it's on the website. Um, can you see it? No, I'll read it to you. Um, basically, it's seven principles of a better way, and this came out of our Better Way conference in May which you can still watch on the website. Um, and it was quite an amazing conference, very solutions focused. We looked at how we can reclaim science, how we can restore media 
uh, integrity and credibility, how we can, um, how law can uh, serve human rights, how we can encourage people to get active in, in, in determining their future, the, the um, identifying and addressing environmental challenges, and, uh, and obviously the, the how we address consequences of the COVID-19 chapter, and also how we innovate and have new approaches to managing health and health prevention. So out of this came this charter, um, which is saying, okay, the world that we live in, if we adhere to these seven principles, I think we, we can get there. Um, and um, the first one is we act in honor and we do no harm. And, uh, you know, this is, um, you know, it comes from natural law. That's the basic tenet of natural law. And if everybody just acts in honor and does no harm to the best of their ability, we all make mistakes, but if we just act in honor and do no harm, I think we're 90% there, you know? Um, and then, you know, remembering, and then number two is we are free beings with free will. We, we take responsibility for and control of our, our lives, our choices, and our health. Number three is recognizing that we're actually from nature and we're part of nature. And, um, you know, we, we need that... Uh, people and the planet are inter, in, uh, nurture each other in, uh, in equal measure. The fourth is that, you know, spirituality is integral to our well-being, no matter what sort of spirituality you take. And, you know, uh, people say, well, I'm not spiritual. I don't believe in God or this and that. But we all have this absolute quest for love and falling in love. And that in itself is spiritual, this desire to be loved and to love. That is very spiritual. And so we all have that. We are, are spiritual and we actually thrive when life has meaning and purpose. So, you know, if people feel their life has, doesn't have meaning and purpose, well, you know, step into the better way and start thinking about how we can, how you can make your life meaningful and, and full of purpose because it's great to have to have a purpose. Um, number five is we thrive together. So we actually really value diverse and integrated communities. We don't want to all be the same and we want, but we need to be together. Um, number six is we value different perspectives. So we recognize that actually having different perspectives is how we navigate and we actually de decide and refine our knowledge and our wisdom. Um, and and uh, number seven is that uh, we use technology with discernment. So we recognize technology is important and used respectfully will enhance learning and wisdom to benefit people and the planet. So seven, you know, seven principles um, and, and, and a little footnote to say, you know, we do not tolerate the violation of people's inalienable rights and freedoms. So, um, so you know, so that's basically it. And it seems to work, you know, we're all sort of on a, on a, on a journey um, learning how to step away from fear you know, we have to step away from fear and actually embrace the unknown because, you know, we're entering very uncertain times. But the, the only certainty really in life is um, is that things change. You know, cha change is, is a given. Um, there's the... We have to want the change, though, don't we? That's the problem. Uh, for change to happen, we kind of have to have we, we have to want it enough. To, well, change to will it. happen. Change will happen with or without you. You know, so change is going to happen. So, what sort of change do you want to happen? Do you want, um, you know, do you want to to? Is it appropriate for you to keep um, outsourcing your health to these authorities that, that seem to have been corrupted by pharma and other and corporate influence? Um, that's fine. There's no judgment in it. You know, perhaps that makes you feel safe. Um, and um, but um, you know, but if you if you want a different sort of change, um, then you have to step out of fear, step away from fear, and actually empower yourself towards um, 
becoming sovereign and, and taking responsibility for your decisions literally today. What am I going to do today to to um, towards positive change? And and actually, one very important thing is what people don't realize is that everything they do impacts others, impacts the collective. So, you know, if you um, if you walk down a street and you you don't smile. Um, I mean, try it, you know, you, you, you can, you can, you know, you, you kind of have a, an energy around you, you give off an energy, as soon as you smile, you've actually completely shifted the energy on that street for somebody else, you smiled at somebody else, whatever, you know, so, so if we're all able to lighten ourselves, and actually see the humor in the situation, I mean, how ridiculous is the situation that we're in? Where, you know, we've got this runaway train, with these, this government just wanting to inject and inject and inject people, you know, take your fifth booster, um, uh, when, um, when clearly that is not the solution to good health. Um, and, uh, and we can't stop it. And then, of course, you know, if you, if you go a little bit further down the rabbit hole, you, you realize that the World Economic Forum and, and whoever else, you know, they're all pulling the strings. And, um, and uh, there may even be some sort of, um, you know, uh, eugenics agenda, you know, we, you start thinking, well, this sounds like a crazy science fiction movie. Have a laugh about it, feel light about it and think, okay, let me be the hero of my own movie. And, and what can I do to, to, um, you know, to take control and, and, and have a good journey? Because that's what we're here for, really, isn't it? Um, 100%. Yeah, I've always thought that, that, that if there is a God or, or, or you know, an all creator, does he really want us to go to work for eight hours a day, Monday to Friday, only have two weeks off a year, you know, slave to the wage and, you know, you, you, are you living to work or working to live? You know, is that what they, you know, you know, is that what they wanted for us? And I, I just have always thought this can't, this can't be it. Um, but then when you start looking into it a bit deeper, um, my next door neighbour, who's an old boy, 70 year old, he doesn't get his head around so much about the COVID stuff, but he busted out something to me the other day about Klaus Schwab and a WEF. So I was a bit like, right, okay. So at least we're getting people having a common sort of ground with regards to, because it doesn't matter what part of it they believe, because it's all part of the same mess, isn't it really? that That's my kind of thought process. As long as they can start tugging at the string, they'll, they'll get to where they need to be eventually anyway. I think the whole COVID thing was just a bit difficult for people to get their head around that their, their governments would purposefully try and you know do that to people um you know but basically that was just on trust wasn't it really and the government have just completely thrown out of people's back in people's faces do you do you think there'll be a time then where we we will have because obviously holistic medicine um before big pharma came in was 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 the main source of medicine do you think we'll go back to a time where where we'll be like that or do you think there'll still be big pharma there to an extent but it won't have as much of a monopoly on, on the situation as they do now i think we're going to see a kind of a split um, you know, we're yeah. going to see um, we're going to see more and more influence of big pharma. And I don't know if you're aware of NHS X, you know, with this yes. basically everyone digital IDs, you know, they're, they're yeah. pushing every they want digital IDs for everybody. And, and the sort of AI triaging, um, uh, yeah. which, you know, just sounds really anti-human. Um, reduction programs if they think yes, we too yes. much. So, yeah. so, so, so that really is. And I think m more than ever, um, people are going to realize that that's not good health and that they're going to need to take responsibility for the health. So I think we're going to see, we'll see the split, those that sort of just keep on buying into the system and going further and further, uh, outsourcing their health to basically um, uh, AI and, and, and Bill Gates and Big Pharma and whatever drugs that, you know, 
um, they, they get pushed on them. And then the others who say, actually, I'm taking back my health and I'm going to prevent health. I don't want this disease-centric approach and just wait until I'm really sick and then have to take a whole pile of pills for the rest of my life. I want to live in good health for for my entire life. Mm. And, and I'm going to make sure that I only put the very best into my body, but be it be it eating, drinking, thoughts, you know, um, the activities one does, nature and all that. So there's going to be a split and though and the split, you know, and I think we're going to see this absolute revival of these um, beautiful holistic therapies that have been going on in the background. They're, they're, um, holistic practitioners outnumber, um, you know, the, the statutorily regulated practitioners and, and probably have been picking up pieces of, of allopathic medicine for a long time. Um, but um, so we'll have that. But also there are new technologies or technologies that, um, that like quantum medicine, which we haven't um, really been able to explore or there's been very little awareness about because it's, it's such a threat to the, to the farm industry. So, um, so, so it's a quite an exciting time really in terms of, you know, actually we can, we can step back and, um, and, uh, and choose, you know, what, what sort of route we want to go. Um, but mm. just, I see that we're running out of time, Matt, and I just wanted to, to um, draw your attention to the UK Doctors' Conference. I don't know if you've seen this leaflet. Yeah, um, yeah I've got some beats about uh, it here, but you go on. Yeah, so, you know, with, I think many people now in the NHS and outside know that the vaccines are, are harmful in the actual fact that are causing injury. Um, and um, so, uh, I'm not sure if you saw Dr. Asim Alhotra's um, yep. uh, uh, press conference on Tuesday, um, where you know he's he's someone who's been on quite a journey. You know, he actually was promoting the COVID vaccines on the BBC uh, early in in 2021, and has now um, and he's vaccinated. And but his father um, died from uh, following the COVID vaccine. And he had to sort of rethink and he's now done kind of done a full gone full circle and he's saying yeah. don't go near them they're dangerous they need to be recalled so um so we're at a point now where many people uh, are realizing this gps are seeing this uh, doctors are seeing this cardiologists are seeing the harms and it's time for us all to come together and figure out how to solve this problem you know because especially going into winter we're going to see be seeing a lot of um pathology a lot of illness so um so we we're having a uk doctors conference uh it's an in-person event uh, it's not the audience is not going to be recorded it's just going to be uh, the the talks recorded that so we can put them up later for those who can't make it but we are hoping you know the, the in-person thing is so important um and uh, we so we need to you know we want to um be all together and be able to to sort of workshop solutions, um, have lots of input, Q and A's, um, and and discuss not only um, you know um, the the um, COVID issues, but also the broader issues. You know, how do we uh, empower people to take responsibility for their health? What is the future of the NHS? You know, uh, if we don't want NHS X, what is the alternative? Um, and um, yeah, and also just looking at revisiting those, those sort of ethical principles of medicine and, and how and hearing from individual doctors what their experiences have been uh, over the past couple of years. Um, and that's so on the 15th of October down in Westminster, London. It's on the 15th. And in actual fact, all health professionals are welcome. So um, we, you know, if you if you want to come along, you can visit the um, Better Way Conference 
www.ukdoctors.org website um, and you can and you'll see there's a UK doctors conference there um, and uh, it's a full day event there's actually um, there's a workshop the following day which is free um, for the first I think I think they can take 50 uh, 50 people and that's on quantum medicine and we have Dr. Stefan Becker who's an, who's an orthopedic surgeon um, but also a quantum medicine expert from Austria who, is, who will be running that workshop for four hours and he's bringing a lot of very interesting and novel equipment that will be, um, uh, well, it's, as I say, it's very exciting and it's, it's a great honor to be able to, to share this, um, this new technology, a new old technology. It's been around for some time, but one of those things that has been suppressed. Um, will, will, that, will that be f uh, filmed as well? Um, it won't be filmed, no. Uh, actually, I haven't thought, we haven't really thought about that, but um, perhaps we could film it. Hmm, that'd be yeah. interesting. I mean, because mm. then you're giving people a little teaser then, aren't you? So you may as well. Yes. Um, yes. That sounds in, that sounds brilliant. Um, I will try my hardest to get there, but I live up north, so I will try my hardest to get down to see that. But it's good that there was, because there was another one. I've, I've been meaning to ask this because you need to come further north, all right? Because there's some of us in the north as well. <laughs> we, we, some of us have, how, how far north? Because I have been up to Leicester, um, I've given yeah. a few talks in Leicester and Birmingham. Manchester, Manchester would be good. Manchester seems to be like the I'll hub. Come, you just have to send me an invitation, really. Oh, okay. Well, I'll just set up a brief conference, sort it out, all right? And then I'll get, you I'll get the you conference. You sort out the conference, we'll come. Yeah, okay, right. We'll build it and they shall come. All right, I'll, I'll get on that straight away then. You heard it here first, folks. Um, okay, one quick question, a couple of quick questions then. So um, – I'm loving what, what you said and I wholeheartedly agree with what you said. And I think it's something that we've needed to have done for ages anyway, have the choice, but from a, from a Nana's perspective, because there are those people that when you try and implement change, it's just, they're just not going to, it's just, it's just, it's just not going to, it's, it's not successful. They're, they're just not great at changing anything. They phone the doctors and, but I can foresee things happening, which I was seeing all the time beforehand. The patient's not able to see their doctors. And when they do, it's three weeks later and things like that. So that's our kind of market to an extent as well, isn't it? To just slot in uh, an alternative thing, um, if you will. So if, if, if your Nana was saying, I can't get into the doctors, what can I do? You know, what, what sort of advice would you give them to, to, to help them try and maybe look down the more alternative route or, you know, taking healthcare back into their own sort of hands? Hmm. Well, firstly, um, you know, you need to find a, a trusted health professional. And there, there are many wonderful people out there in holistic health, you know. Um, so now, now is a good time to try naturopathy or naturopathic healing or, or, or I mean, depending on what, you, what the issue is, you know, or homeopathy or acupuncture or, or some other modality, massage, and get away from this very uh, drug-centered approach to health. You know, I remember my gran, she used to, she really, um, uh, you know, she wanted to get a pill when she went to the doctor and she'd get disappointed if she didn't come home with a pill. We need to change that mindset, you know, um, mm. and... Um, and actually, and, and start looking at diet and, you know, cut sugar out. Sugar's so bad. We just eat so much sugar. People have, you know, um, so uh, there's in these sweet shops popping up on the high streets everywhere now. Um, we, we really have to get rid of sugar from our diet and, and really... We all we all know what's good for us. It's quite, it's quite remarkable. Um, we actually do know what's good for us and we know what's bad for us. Uh, but we've kind of been led to to or we you know we've been led to think that that it's okay to eat this and do that and say this and so on but um 
it actually reminds me of where we are. It reminds me of um, of uh, my when when my, when my son was five, we got him a guinea pig, and the guinea pig's name was Sparky. And you know, Sparky had this great location. We gave him everything he needed, and he was in the back garden. But he kept trying to eat this plant through the edge of the the the, the cage, and. Um, and so the one evening I just picked up a sprig of this plant and I chucked it into the cage and I said, there you go, Sparky, you know. And the next morning, of course, he was frozen stiff, dead. And well, not of course, but, you know, and, and my son carried him and then I felt terrible. You know, I'm a doctor and a mother and, you know, you've got a five-year-old oh, son. You know what that's like. I felt absolutely mortified. But what struck me was that here's this creature, you know, God's creature and he didn't know what was good for him, you know, that he could just eat that stuff and and it killed him. And so that's where kind of thing sometimes where we are as humanity. We just we've kind of forgotten what's we've been so domesticated and and fed on all this crap, you know, mm. and we just and and we we become so we don't even we don't seem to know what's good for us anymore. But we, if we actually look into our hearts, we do know what's good for us. You know, we know we need sunlight. We need fresh air. We don't need to be working eight hours a day in front of a computer. Um you know, we need to be active, we need to move, we need to dance, we need to sing, and um, we need to eat really good, healthy, organic food, we need to drink very pure water, we need to not eat things that are packaged for a long time that can sit on the shelf or, you know, these biscuits and things, we need to not eat sugar, we need to not spend so much time on these tablets and cell phones and things that are, you know, um, and, 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 and in these negative chats, you know, on Telegram with all those fear things that, you know, I think, Whatever we do, whatever we put into our bodies, we need to really just pause for a moment and say, is this good for me? How do I feel when I eat this? Or how do I feel when I read this? And actually be more discerning, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that includes watching the BBC. I think for a good starting point, if you're not sure, turn off the BBC. <laughs> You'll yeah. see your health improve immediately. Well, there was a, I read a study a little while ago and it, it, it basically it's summarized that pretty much everybody who's kind of like aware of what's going on doesn't watch terrestrial TV and those that do aren't. Um, so it was just, it was more one of those kind of like tongue in cheek kind of studies they did, but it was, um, it was interesting really because it, it, there are some people that you just won't get through to. And I think it's about picking your, picking your audience and your clientele. Do you foresee a time then when we will, um, the, I, I, the word. I, I'd like to say medically free, but I don't know if that's the right kind of word, but you know what I'm trying to get at, right? So where, where you can just, you've got the choice. You can go see a doctor, you can see a holistic person or, or cause I've always envisioned you go to the holistic practitioner first. And then if you need something referring to like surgeons, orthopedics, whatever, like you would then go to your doctor to then refer you. Do you see us going back to a time where that would be the case where you essentially just need to go to the doctor for him to refer you to the right person? Yeah, no, I think what I think the whole system needs an overhaul because at the moment the way allopathic medicine works is you go and see the cardiologist and he looks at your heart and then you have to go and see somebody else if you've got a tummy problem and then you've got to see somebody else if you've got a there's no sort of holistic view and it doesn't work because we are organisms everything's connected you know if you've got um, if you've got and, and these ten minute appointments are absolutely absurd how can you how can you evaluate yeah your entire health with you know if you yeah if you've got a headache or you're feeling depressed or whatever you know you, or whatever it is you know it's related to something else so so it's um the the allopathic approach with the 10-minute appointments does not work the silent approach with the cardiologist this and that and the other does not work uh, we need to have a holistic approach to to a person and we need to go back to um having those trusted health professionals where you 
you know, you, if they know you and you feel safe with them and um, they know your family and they know your situation and they know everything and, you know, and they're compassionate and that relationship is sacred. Um, and that doesn't need to be an allopathic doctor. That could be any sort of health professional. Uh, but, um, but as I said, somebody you trust. So, yeah, so I think the whole, the whole um, system is going to need some kind of overhaul and, um, and uh yeah there's it's hard to know um it's hard to know you know how long that will take i think um there are many people working on it and and um and uh, but i think the other thing is what people need to to also think about is at the moment you know we have this nhs which people pay into and and it's free but is it good? No. And I know people, you know, people that might hurt people who, who you know, we've had um, save the NHS and people love the NHS and we've, had, we've kind of been trained to absolutely love the NHS and support the NHS. But um, in actual fact, is the NHS really doing, um, doing uh, a good job for us and keeping us healthy? And I don't think it is um, because I think uh, it's been um, uh, infiltrated and co-opted by, by a big farmer and, and profiteering. So, um, and, and also this protocol driven thing rather than a person driven, you know, individual driven kind of uh, care. So um, we need to actually start paying for care, I'm afraid. You need to actually find trusted health professionals and go and pay for it. And, and if you have to, you know, we, we spend money on our cars. We have a regular MOT every year, which we pay for. And we need to do that for ourselves and our bodies as well and just have those regular checkups uh, pay for it, find someone you really love and trust and who, who who can guide you and go on a health journey where you restore your health because um, you know we need to we need to really have a, a, a preventive approach to health health promotion um, and optimize our health. We've got these wonderful bodies that we have we you know we we uh, we experience life through and you can't live life in your very best and have the best experience if you've got sore knees and you you know this and that and you're overweight and you you know you're struggling with this or getting lots of headaches because of xyz because you're stressed or depressed or whatever we really need to optimize our health and and that means changing um changing our lives you know so if you if you you have to change something you can't just expect something else somebody else to sort it out it's taking responsibility so if you're unhappy and you're depressed don't take a pill change something change your job stop your job go and you know go and go into nature get a job on a farm i don't know do something you know but don't just stick doing what you're doing because life is to be lived and enjoyed you know we we we're so privileged to be on this beautiful earth and and we must enjoy our time here Hundred percent. I mean, I've, I've I've spoke to so many different people in the NHS and, and and externally, you know, over the last few years. And I've recently left the NHS. I I, I had enough after the the threats and just now I work on a golf course cutting grass as a groundsman as a groundkeeper or greenkeeper. Sorry, and everyone's like, "Oh my god, that's a change!" And it's like, do you know what? It's yeah, it is. But I haven't moaned about work in the three months I've been there. My wife has said my whole demeanor's changed. <laughs> My whole family has said everything like that. I don't care what letters I get from the HCPC anymore or, or anything like that. You know, and it completely. So when I say to people, just leave, well, what can I do? Anything you want. You've got problem solving skills. You've got people skills. You know, you've worked in the NHS for decades or, you know, five, whatever. You you would be surprised what transferable skills um, you have got. But it's that institution, like they've been institutionalized. Like I can relate to that when I was in the military, you know, 
it was a big thing getting out, but but it was the best thing I ever did. But you don't know that until you know you, you kind of make that decision. The only thing I can foresee it being an issue at the minute, and that's the thing that I've is the prescribing thing. So you go to an holistic practitioner, and if they want you to have bloods done or anything done, they have to then go through your doctor, who again is a gatekeeper. And if he doesn't agree with the um, procedure or the, uh, the, the the test that you want doing, then they they won't do it. So we need to, like you say, completely overhaul it. One, so we can get round that, but two, that, that not everybody's going getting sent for CT scans and it, that it kind of overwhelms the whole system. Do you think we'll ever get to a point where we can do that? Yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah. There, there yeah. are, there are, there really are experts working on this. And yes. I urge you, if people who are interested to look at, for example, Dr. Rob Fekak's blueprint uh, of the way forward of how to integrate allopathic and holistic um, medicine. Uh, in actual fact, Rob is speaking at the um, the UK Doctors Conference. So, you know, if you want to hear about new ways um, of um, of working, there's also um, uh, Dr. Peter Chan is also speaking, and he's got uh, oh, yes. he's launched this holistic health service. You know. Um, and uh, it's it's so inspiring to hear these new these new ideas and models coming forward. So you know people really need to know there are alternatives, and it just takes you know it just takes trust and um, and uh, you know life's an adventure. So you know don't get stuck in a rut. You know really um, take take a leap and change something and do something active to improve your life and um, and to contribute to to creating, you know, to creating something better for everybody, for our children and their children, et cetera. And, then, and this is the thing. It's like, even if you don't believe in it or don't want to do it, do it for those, you know, the, the future generations. Because I think, you know, the last two years has, has shown, regardless of what you believe or not, you know, that, that, that they don't have our best interests at heart. Otherwise, they would have given vitamin D and decent nutritional advice at the beginning of this whole thing to encourage people to be healthier and not as high risk, but they didn't. It was just the worst advice. Stay at home, stay out of the sun, don't speak to no one, be stressed. Um, you know, put your immune system under stress, which makes you more susceptible to getting COVID and blah, blah, blah. So um, going back to the fear factor thing then, I think how, and then we'll wrap up short. I'm not in a rush, but we'll wrap up short. I appreciate your time is precious. But how do you think um, those people that are still in fear, you know, because we, we spoke about this, the, the ticking time bomb that may or may not be from the jab, like you said before, we have no long-term data to, to say so how do we alleviate the fear of those people to then get them once you like you've said before when the fear disappears they will able to be able to ask questions and accept things how yes, can I, think, I think part of i think the difficulty in um in not for example listening to government advice uh you know is, is and uh, is um is wondering what the alternative is in fear so if you know if people are just hearing that the COVID injections or vaccines are harmful and that some people are having bad reactions to them. Um, you know, it's quite a big thing to, to take on board, uh, even for the doctors who and the health professionals who've had two or three injections, you know, um, to actually think, gosh, oh my goodness, I've taken this thing that might cause harm down the road. Um, that's, that's quite a frightening uh, idea. And so, you know, I think it's very important for people to realize that um, it doesn't it doesn't mean that they are going or you are going to get sick. It doesn't mean one's going to get sick just because you've had the COVID injection. But, you know, it's a good point to stop and say, well, I'm not going to take any more um, because uh, this this, you know, if, if this is what's happening on the databases, we need 
the um, the safety orders, these pharmacovigilance safety orders to be done, and they haven't been done. So, you know, we need to wait. But also, um, just to say, on the, now this, you're not going to see this very well either because my camera's not great, but... Um, but basically, um, this is uh, if you go onto the World Council for Health website, um, you know we have solutions. So there are um, some, there is guidance on how to reduce the risk of having complications from the spike protein, and um, and so you know people mustn't worry. Many doctors and health professionals have been working on this, um, and there are various options from given provided by by. Um, by various clinicians and uh, medical uh, practitioners around the world, uh, including FLCCC, you know, Frontline COVID Critical Care Alliance in the States, but also um, from other sorts of practitioners um, and lots of sort of herbal um, remedies and safe uh, supplements and so on that can reduce the spike protein load. Because just, um, just uh, you know, just to explain, and um, the reason why these vaccines are not normal vaccines is that they they're basically a gene code, which is a recipe. Um, to make spike protein. And we know spike protein causes the problems with COVID. So uh, what it does is it, it makes one's cells, the cells of the body into little factories to produce spike protein. And then that sets up, an, and then you have an antibody response to that. And that sets up a, a sort of inflammatory reaction. So your body's fighting your own cells, what's making all the spike protein. And, um, and so by, by taking various herbal supplements and things to boost the immune system, um, and prevent clotting, um, it, um, you know, you can reduce the risk of, of the vaccines. So, uh, so, so it's really just to let people know it's not a, you know, it's not, um, it's, you know, it's not irreparable. We don't know uh, at the moment what the consequences are uh, and whether, and, and we don't know why many people don't have side effects, but nevertheless, many people are having side effects and some very severe side effects. So we, we encourage people to really, if they have had one, two, three, four, just don't take any more at this point until we really have some independent audit of those data. <sighs> so I think that I had Brooke Jackson on a couple of weeks ago, and she's currently taking Pfizer to uh, to court. Um, I can't remember what they call it in the States. Um, but basically, she's taken them to court on behalf of everybody in the States. Um I can't remember what the word is for it, but you can do that in the States, apparently. One person goes to court, and then if it's successful. Uh, but she's suing them for $1.9 uh, And she, Have you heard of Brooke Jackson before? Yes. Yeah, yes. okay, fine, right. So so the, the main point is, is, is that things are moving forward, albeit very, very slowly. Have you noticed um, a, a shift, especially in the doctor front? Because obviously there was a bit of a slow uptake in yeah. doctors coming forward. Have yeah, there's noticed? definitely a shift. There's definitely yeah. a shift. And I can feel, you know, things are galvanizing. So there's definitely a shift, which is why we're having this doctor's conference. Mm. Um, because I think it would be, you know, it's really key for everyone to get together and talk. I just wanted to say, you know, a lot of people hearing this, you know, it can make people very angry to hear this and why have the government done this and why, have, you know, but it's very important for us all to take responsibility for where we are today. We all complicit in where we are now because we haven't been paying attention. We've outsourced all our decision-making to these authorities. We've allowed them to be corrupted. We've, we've all been corrupted in some way or another, you know, we've, we, we've, um, and so, so really that's so important for people to not only step away from fear, but step away from that kind of blame culture and, and actually, yes, it's important that we seek justice and we have these court cases and all of that, but don't get mired in that. Rather, get mired in the solutions. So how do we move forward from this in a positive way? What have we learned from this experience? 
and mm. and what is now needed to repair um, and, and restore health, not just on an individual level, but for our communities and our society. Yeah, agree. Uh, the wife said to me, I think it was yesterday, she said she would never have known who the president of the EU was, who the Italian prime minister was. You know, this last two years, she's learned so much about everything uh, in a good way. Um, and, and if you want to do it, obviously learning about stuff you enjoy so much easier. Learning medicine, I hated it. It was horrible. It was boring. But, um, you know, this is I've learned more in these last two years than in both my degrees before. So, you know, it's been it's a lot easier to look into stuff when you're gen genuinely interested. OK. Oh, I could talk to you all day, um, but I appreciate your business. <laughs> There's so uh, much. I know there is, isn't there? I mean, look, I'm here all the time, so I'd more than happily um, have you on again, and we can get deep down and dirt into some other yeah. stuff as well. But any final words for people then, please? Well, just to say, you know, this is a great opportunity to really take back your health, your freedom, and your sovereignty. And there is a better way. So please join us in, in creating a better way for a better world. We can do this together. Beautiful. And where can people find you, please? Well, I seem to be all over the place at the moment, but please follow my, my Substack because what I try and do with Substack is I've got tests, uh, um, I do test talks, which is a podcast, and we, we do those every Sunday. This Sunday, I'm speaking with Alan Dana, who's a Qantas pilot, um, who's, um, they're suing Qantas uh, for, you can you can watch the podcast and 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 yeah, hear. Yeah, um, you, you heard about it anyway. Mm. He, that was I really enjoyed speaking with him. So so there's a little podcast that goes with and and we and the tests um, and the Substack is a better way to health. So just I try and keep it really light and positive. And so if you like my approach and you like the way I'm speaking now and and you want to listen further, then that's a place where uh, you can you can um, get a kind of weekly a weekly um, uh, article from me. So, and that was a better way for health for the substack. It's a better way for health, yeah, with Dr. Tess Laurie. So if I think if you just go substack Dr. Tess Laurie, it'll pop up. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Okay, Dr. Tess Laurie, thank you so much for your time today. I really do appreciate you coming on today and chatting to me. Keep doing what you're doing, all right? Thanks, you too, Matt. No, you really too. Appreciate you too. It. Well, I will no doubt see you at the front line at some point in the future, I hope anyway, all right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> you take Bye. care, all right? You take you care. Bye-bye. All right.